0: I am John Dirks, I am older brother to Jason Dirks, and uh, Jason, Jason and I, we coordinated our outfits today, so you can, so it's pretty cool. Um, I grew up with two sisters until I was 17 years old, and then Jason came along, and uh, I think I changed my first diaper at 17, it traumatized us both, we lived, we lived beyond it. And um, actually, to watch him grow up and just uh, love the Lord has been just a real uh, treasure to me. In fact, um, he came under, uh, I don't know, he was under Matt Turnbull's discipleship. And Matt Turnbull was a good friend of mine. He actually graduated the same year that I did, so he's a real close friend. So that's kind of all the connection. I, I'm so uh, thankful and proud of my Brother, just growing up and, and becoming an elder and love the Lord and committed to the church, I couldn't ask for anything more. And just the kids that, that are here, that uh, his kids, he and Anna's kids are just they love the Lord and um, such a testimony. So I'm thankful, thankful to be here. Um, I'm going to be preaching out of Genesis chapter 50, if that's okay. Genesis chapter 50. If you want to turn there to first uh, 15 all the way to the end. Actually, 15 to 21 is what I want to look at. I uh, I got the chance to preach through Genesis, and I finished it just before I left on vacation, which was a (laughs) two-year... I started it in 2020, and we took a few breaks during the pandemic, but it took a while to get through, but it was an awesome study, and it culminates at the very end, and this is the passage and the last passage that I, I looked at, which uh, is Genesis 50, 15 to 21. Um, I had lunch with a friend of mine about a couple, uh, it would have been like a couple weeks ago, and he had just recently suffered a tremendous loss in his life and we talked about a lot of things just kind of had lunch together talked about the vacations what we were going to have this summer we talked about his work and the need to hire more people we talked about the things he was doing around the house and upkeep and the shop and um, and things like that and finally we got around to I asked him about how he would describe his relationship with God and he said it was difficult to know because he said he has a a scientific background and what he meant by that is that that his scientific brain looks at the natural world for explan, explanations and not to the supernatural and in his mind the natural explanations suffice he doesn't have to go beyond that he was having a hard time thinking through anything beyond that and he says he goes John just Case in point, just look at there is cause and effect. We cause something to happen, and the effect happens. It's like, I don't know if there's anything else beyond that. I can see how I affect the world. He he mentioned some of the outcomes. Like If if one doesn't continue uh, education after high school, there's a certain outcome. If one goes to graduation or post-grad school, there's a different outcome. If one stays in the hometown their entire life, there's going to be a certain person, you know, that you're going to marry. And if you go to Harvard or East Coast, you probably marry into another family and another person that may take you to the East Coast, outside of the West Coast. Decisions that we make limit the future and our outcomes. It just kind of narrows the field as we go. If we work hard to excel in our careers, there is a certain outcome. If we don't work hard, but we take time for hobbies and recreations, there's a certain outcome. I'm not saying either you know, which one is better. It's just there's different outcomes when we apply um, effort. And my friend was wrestling with the question of whether there's evidence in our world for God. Is there any evidence it is because he said it is clear that we alter the outcomes of our lives. It's, it seems like it's up to us. Is God out there orchestrating things? Because when the course of the river is altered by the falling of a tr- falling of a tree, what do we, what do we, how do we explain that? Is it a random act, or is it an act of God? Because what we observe is that life adapts around the falling of a tree. The river gets altered in its path. Because life finds a way in this world. If we say that God orchestrates all things in the world, what do we say when calamity strikes? Do we say it was God's will? Because if we say it's God's will, that means he is to blame for a lot of evil happening in the world. You see, this is kind of the problem of evil. That's where it comes up. And what is it? What is, what's the problem of evil? Well, if there's a good God and he's all-powerful, why doesn't he do something about it? Why doesn't he put an end to evil? Why allow suffering? What good could possibly come from allowing evil to continue? But we have the same... We have to give some kind of explanation... Even if we think it's beyond our pay grade because life happens, right? We're going to give an explanation to our children. We're going to give an explanation to our spouses, to our friends when things happen. You know, all of life we're trying to uh, go toward a purpose. We try to live our life toward pleasure. We work hard to avoid pain and suffering. But, you know, life happens because there is a lot of pain, there's chaos, and there's a lot of dull routine. Am I right? We have to find this steady pace in the midst of it all, but how we think about calamity in our life has a lot to do with our well-being. How we are to process the evil done to us will affect our well-being. And let me show you how Joseph processed the evil done to him. And that's the chapter we're looking at, the passage we're looking at. So let me read it for us before we go any further. When Joseph's brothers, starting with verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you." That was probably a lie. And now please forgive the transgression of your servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when he spoke, When they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people would be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Lord, as we open up your word, we pray, Father, that you would help this preacher to communicate what needs to be communicated, even in the manner in which it needs to be communicated. And I pray that you would open our hearts and, Father, that you would make for yourself a people set aside, holy, attractive to the city, adorning the gospel with our lives. Lord, and as we go through this life and things don't work and they don't go as planned, how we understand these things, Lord, I pray that we would be able to come under you and be thankful and praise through all of the difficulty. We await for you to come back and make us perfect and whole, Lord. Until that time, Lord, I pray that you would just hold on to us and make us more like your Son, Jesus. Amen. So what did Joseph mean? What did Joseph mean when he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. What did Joseph mean? That's point number one. Well, the brothers, you know, after dad died, Jacob, they were afraid that maybe Joseph was holding back. Because remember, he was second in command in Egypt. Very powerful situation. And he could have done whatever he wanted to his brothers to get him back, but he held back. And they were thinking, well, it's because of dad. And so they come trembling before Joseph and they say, please, you know, uh, dad told you to forgive. He wanted me to tell you that, which is probably not true. But when Joseph heard that, he wept. He wept. He cried. Why did he cry? Probably he was, it it, it probably uh, brought back all the memories of hardship over the years over the 22 years and probably he loved the fact that all his family were together again and the fact that his brothers would would act like that probably brought him to tears but after they said these things they bowed again to joseph thus fulfilling those two dreams remember the two dreams that he had at 17 years old yeah, the first dream was all of, all of the brothers had these sheaves, these stalks of wheat, and all the brothers' sheaves were bowing down to his. And then he has one about the stars and the moon, and they're all bowing down to him, and they were upset about that. And even Jacob, the father, said, are we going to bow before you? What are you talking about? It's like, you don't have to tell us about these dreams. <laughs> they weren't very happy about them. But... What did the brothers hope for in that moment? They wanted forgiveness. They wanted a guarantee that Joseph would not get them back for all the evil done to them. But, you know, he could have stated that in verse 21 alone. Look at verse 21. He could have said, so do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. That's all he had to say. But he didn't he said he said this remarkable statement in verse 20 what you meant for evil you meant evil against me but god meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today what evil is he talking about what what was it i got to get some participation here the famine What else would he be talking about too? Yeah, the evil done against me. Definitely famine is a calamity. But the evil done against me would be selling me into slavery, Joseph would be saying. Or throwing me in the pit or lying to the father to say I was dead. All of that was evil against him. But probably the selling... Of Joseph is at the heart of what he was talking about I mean they sent him to hell for 22 years basically because remember he was enslaved and then he got thrown into prison for something he didn't do they sent him to a possible death the possible death that's evil you meant evil against me you know the Hebrew word for meant is can also be translated Intended, purposed, planned. So let's put it together. What you meant, planned, intended for evil. God meant, planned, intended it for good. Same word, meant. And it's very clear in the Hebrew what it refers to. Because it, if you remember your uh, grammar, you have um, you know masculine, feminine, and neuter, Nouns And this is in the feminine. It is in feminine. And so you go back to what's close by. Evil is what it's referring to. You meant it, evil, for good. God meant it, meaning evil, for good. That's a huge statement. Here's, Here's how I would describe it. Two entities purposed, intended the same event. Selling Joseph into slavery. The brothers purposed him to be sold into slavery. God purposed him to be sold into slavery for different reasons. For different reasons. The brothers wanted to get rid of Joseph and God wanted it to save many lives. That's an amazing thing. God purposed, ordained, planned the selling of Joseph. An evil act carried out by evil brothers who wanted to sell Joseph. But there, and there is no arm twisting. God is not twisting the arms of the brothers. They're doing exactly what they want to do. They want to get back at Joseph. But all, all of those actions were backing right into the plan of God. Unless you think that this is a strange take on this verse... I want to read Genesis chapter 45 when Joseph says the same things to his brothers. In verses 7 and 8 of chapter 45, he says, And God, listen to this, sent me, (laughs) sent me? God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. He keeps on going. So it was not you who sent me here. But God, <laughs> God was so orchestrating this event that he could say, God sent me. God sent me. God sent me to Egypt. you got to have uh, Psalms 105, a little bit later. The psalmist is going to talk about this event too. Psalm 105, verse 16 and 17, it says, When he, God, summoned a famine. Think about that. God summoned a famine on the land and then broke all the supply of bread. He had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Here you have two things. He sent a man ahead who was sold into slavery. Both are true. The brothers have a purpose, have a reason behind it. God has a reason. Both are selling Joseph into slavery. Think about Pharaoh. Okay, you got Exodus. And you all know, if you've read Exodus, that the first part, Pharaoh is hardening his heart against the, Egypt, or the Israelites. And then it says later in the narrative that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So which is it? Thank you. It's both. It's both. But they have different reasons for it, right? Pharaoh wants to just pulverize Israel, wants to punish them. And God extends it out to display his awesome power so that the world would know. Go into the New Testament. Think about Paul and the thorn in his flesh in 2 Corinthians 12. Remember that? And, and he prays three times, please remove it. Because it was a hindrance, it seemed like, to the gospel spread. In his mind, it's like, if I could just get rid of this, I could really do some great work for you. And he realizes, no, I've, I've got to rejoice in my weakness because in my weakness I'm made strong, is that passage. But here you have, <clears throat> in verse 7, it says, So to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations... A thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. So here you see, both the devil and the Lord planned a thorn. Both the devil and the Lord planned a thorn. But each have a different purpose. One wants to harass, and the other wants to humble. It's not in in the devil's plan to humble and make more righteous a believer. But it is to harass. And yet you see both have their purposes. One wants to harass while the other wants to humble. Satan may meant evil against Paul, but God meant it for good. When your boss bypasses the promotion because of something you said that made him mad, that is an explanation. It's just not the entire explanation. Do you understand that? There is a horizontal explanation for everything, but God meant things for good. God is superintending things for good. Now, what, point number two, what motivated Joseph to say these things? What motivated him to say it? Verse 20. Why did Joseph, after such an explanation, Offer such an explanation when he didn't have to say all that. Comfort. He said it to comfort his brothers. Think about that. He said it for comfort. The brothers needed to know that Joseph wouldn't take revenge on them. And all all that Joseph had to say was like, You're good. I forgive you. No problem. That's all he had to say. But he went further. And he said a whole lot more. I think he goes further because Joseph wanted to say that they didn't screw up the plan of God. I think that's the bottom line. You didn't screw up the plan of God. They threw Joseph in a pit with every intention to kill him. Now look at verse 30, chapter 13. 37 let me just read 37 verses 18 and following this is when joseph at 17 years old goes out to kind of check on the brothers right and they see him from afar they saw him from afar and before he came near to them they conspired against him to kill they said to one another here comes this dreamer let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will come of of his dreams. They hated those dreams. The funny thing is, God gave him those dreams ahead of time. Just put this together. Those dreams ultimately incited the brothers to sell him. And Joseph at the end is saying, My brothers what you did was evil, pure and simple. You're going to answer to God for your sinful actions, but you didn't screw up the plan of God. And it was said as a comfort. Like when a doctor comes and tells you that you have diabetes or a form of cancer, you can legitimately say, that's terrible news. That's terrible news. And you are right. It's an evil corruption within this world. It's accurate to say that, but it's not the full explanation. It's an evil that God has designed, intended, meant for my good. I have diabetes. And I can honestly say that though, when I first heard it, I'm like, oh man, it's going to set me back. I'm not going to be able to do some things. And yet, what God has done through it, it didn't take him by surprise. He designed it and meant it for my good. He's not scrambling around trying to find a secondary use for it. No. He meant it, planned it, intended it for good. And I can, I can affirm that. God has purposed it for my good. But where's the comfort? You know, where, You think well where's the comfort in all that god meant it for good it's the sovereignty of god which we're talking about god's sovereign over all things controlling all things will not solve all of our conundrums life's conundrums but it's a comfort knowing that it's not the sum total of random acts right it's not going to solve every uh, issue or thought pattern or, you know, like a cul-de-sac that our minds can go into. But it is a comfort to know that it's not the sum total of all these random acts. That's what I'm talking about. It is a mercy. It is a mercy from God. But, and we're not at the mercy of evil people and God's hands are not tied. There is a comfort knowing that all things are predestined after the counsel of his will. Ephesians 1.11, I'm quoting. And that he has created for us for good works that, that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10. So number three, what's the implications for us? What are the implications for us in this doctrine? Well, number one, it requires us to think of God's will in two different ways. What do I mean? There is the revealed will of God. That's the Bible. God's heart of hearts. This is where he wants us to direct our steps. But there is also the secret will. Revealed will, secret will of God. That he he wills that Joseph is sold into slavery. That's what I mean. And you say to me, well, that's crazy talk. That's crazy talk. No, that's how theologians talk in order to make sense of Genesis 50-20. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. That's how we have to... How does that work together? But also Acts 4, 27 and 28. Listen to this. It's really all over the Bible. It's not in... Here or there. It's all over the Bible. If Acts 4, 27, and 28. For so it's after Peter and John get out of um custody and they go back to the people and they're in prayer. This is part of their prayer. It says, For truly in this city, Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, who you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God predestined to put his son on the cross. So his revealed will would be that Herod and Pontius Pilate and the people of God and the Gentiles would bow before the Son of God. That is the revealed will of God. But the secret will of God is you got to get Jesus on the cross or our sins will not be forgiven. So he's got he's to ordain all the sinful acts against his son in order that our sins would be covered. That's what I mean. His secret will is to orchestrate the events and the people to put his son on the cross. Again, it requires us to think of God God's will in two different ways. Here's the second implication. Tragedy doesn't mean that God is against us. That's the easiest thing for us to think. Especially when tragedy upon tragedy upon tragedy, when there's a string of them, you go, "Uh, you must be against me. But just think about Joseph's life. At any point, he would think, God, you must be against me. But when you know the full story, you can't say that, can you? He is always for his children. There were long stretches in Joseph's life where he couldn't see the purpose behind the evil done to him. Couldn't. You just think about it, He was in prison you know, for a crime that he didn't commit. So he's in the darkest place. And it's like, anytime, God. Anytime. And in one moment, Herod gets a dream. Not Herod. Pharaoh gets a dream. and they summon joseph he thinks he's going to be in there for a long time and in one day it changes It's, it's the hand of god but god is for us tragedy does not mean god is against us that's number two number three god perfects us through the evil done to us what people mean for evil god means it for good and you have to look at it that way. You've got to open up your heart. You've got to open up your hands and think, Lord, what is it that you want to do in my life? Okay? You could do whatever it takes to get out of that conundrum or get out of that hard spot or, or get out of that job to get to another place. I think that's all right for us to do. But if you are stuck, you better say, Lord, whatever you want to teach me, I'm listening. I don't want to get old and bitter. I don't want to get upset and and sidelined in your work. No, I want my heart to be open. I want my my passions to run strong for you. Here's Joseph. God perfects us through the evil done to us. The selling of Joseph to slavery weaned Jacob the father off of his evil favoritism, right? He's, He's doing this favoritism. It wrecks the family. And selling Joseph starts to wean him away from his favoritism. It also gnaws on the conscience of the brothers to finally bring them to the knees. It strengthens Joseph's faith so that he in the end could say, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. That's strong faith. You try to say that. Doesn't matter what setback What evil befalls you, God will perfect you. He will mature you through it. It was handpicked for your good. You believe that? There's no oops with God. There's no accidents. I think of all the setbacks that I've experienced as a a pastor. All the people that left my church. All the people who said things that really hurt. You know, and they happened more than once. And I had to get on a lonely road and begin to pray and get to the other side. Because I had to think, like, God, why, 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 why? But in the end, I want to be more like Jesus, don't you? And it says in 2 Corinthians 4 that the dying of Jesus is the life of given to us that when i'm dying with jesus more life is given because less of me more of christ well that only happens through trial that only happens when you come up against something that you can't get beyond or when you're stopped in your tracks or when your health breaks down or people are against you they speak evil against you that's when you go what right because you 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 can't help it you can't do anything You have to surrender to God. It puts your faith to the test. Point number four, God's purposes for our lives will be accomplished. Will be accomplished. No one can thwart God's plan. Do you believe that? Not your boss, not your spouse, not your kids. Not anyone could thwart the plan of God for your life. It's not in their hands. It's in the hands of God. And he's going to use whatever setbacks you have. He's going to use it. I'm in the hands of God and no one can stop the purposes of God for me. Believe that. Finally, number five, all praise be to God in redemption. All praise be to God in redemption. Genesis chapter 3, the fall into sin, right? You see it marks the fall of the human race into his sin. They were expelled from the garden of Eden and death ensued. And yet you have that, what well, God spoke to the serpent. In Genesis 3.15, it gives us a glimpse of gospel light. God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and, and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What does that mean? The snake's attack at the heel of the woman is painful, but it's not mortal. The same action up by the offspring of the woman, Jesus, toward the snake's head will be mortal. This battle plays out through Genesis and through the whole book of God. God is establishing the offspring of the woman, the people of God, and Satan is trying to destroy the plan and the people of God. God did not mean evil against anyone. That's the work of Satan. A work that gets played out by evil people and evil acts. And the book of Genesis ends with Joseph in power, protecting the people of God. But we know the next book. And for 400 years, they're going to be in slavery. And then God will raise up another deliverer called Moses. Any moment, it seems like the serpent is winning, but God has a purpose behind it all, to save his people out of Egypt. And then it becomes like a template to understand salvation throughout the whole Bible because they look back at the Exodus as God's salvation. And even in the New Testament, it gives them a good picture of what Christ is going to do. 1,400 years later, Jesus, the Son of God, enters into the world and he's rejected and put on a cross it seems like the serpent is winning But listen to John Piper when he comments about this the gospel of our salvation was being accomplished through the evil of sinful men as they killed the Son of God but random evil saves no one this was not random 700 years before Isaiah had said it was the will of the Lord to crush him he has put him to grief Isaiah 53 10 spoke of all this this is not random evil I'm still quoting against Jesus this is planned this is salvation what Satan meant for evil God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be saved I want you to bow your heads. I know that many of you are discouraged because of the maybe health failing or maybe a prodigal son, daughter, plans to advance your career have been stopped and you can you can become really darkened in your mind angry at people around maybe angry at god but as a christian he's for you and there's no oops with god Can you in this moment, even as we're going to sing and respond, to open up your hands and say, God, whatever you want in my life, I want. Whatever you're trying to do, I'm willing. I surrender. You're sovereign over all. And to my dying breath, I want to be your willing servant. Thankful, joyful, submitted to you. Lord, I pray right now, God, you'd help us to look up. You'd give a strong fiber of faith within and that we would overcome because we're overcomers, it says we are, to the praise and glory of your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.